0: Hello and welcome to Out and About in Malovians. I'm your host, Jeremy Barfer. As part of my job as Member of the Scottish Parliament, I get to travel around Malovians, meeting interesting people and hearing about how the companies, charities and projects that they work for benefit and contribute to our community. On this podcast, I will share their stories. On today's episode, I'm looking forward to talking to Jenny Miller from PAMIS. It's lovely to see you again, Jenny. Um, Pamus. who are you? <laughs>
1: So we're we're a charity that was set up 31 years ago now, um, and it, it it started off as the Profound and Multiple Impairment Service, but it's now promoting a more inclusive society. So we work with people that have a profound learning and multiple complex disabilities. So they are probably some of the most invisible in our community, and they're some of the ones that require the highest level of care. So family carers are you know an average caring eight nine. 10 hours a day and um and we saw a film recently of you know a mum who's up three or four times in the night so so people that have um so so limited communication um no sort of spoken communication but but communicate in many other ways they have may have sensory impairments so not able to see not able to hear quite often tactile defensive and people that have you know multiple other um, conditions so a number of them will have most of them have epilepsy you know a number of them will be in wheelchairs Um, a lot of them can't feed themselves so they they have gastrostomies um, and have very very complex sort of health care but we use the word profound to mean deep wise and expert and they are the group that never ceases to amaze you and surprise you and and i think they're the group that teaches how to be inclusive so um you know families and they are the, the inspiration behind the organization so half of our board is made up of family carers and and we they come with issues or ideas um, we often do research to to find out. I mean, a really major piece of work that we did was around bereavement and loss, and helping people with a profound learning disability understand what it is to lose a loved one and how we support them. That was a massive piece of research, then became a resource, and now is is a, a learning and development program, and very much integral to, to what we do because sadly, so many people do die, you know, before they they hit old age, um, and and that you know, is one of the things that we're really fighting for at the moment is that whole issue about, um the, you know, the whole health inequalities um, and people dying from things that are preventable and avoidable. Um, so, so PAMIS is, is an organisation that works with family carers. We have a, a family support service that helps them. And it was set up, I think, because Mencap many years ago obviously still works with people with learning disabilities but one day there was a question about what they did for people with a profound learning disability and Sir Brian Ricks had to say that they weren't doing very much at all and Loretta Lamb who founded mm-hmm. PAMIS was sent away and, um, and and to find out what they could do and actually she then set up her own charity along with her husband and, and set that up in, in Dundee so... Sadly, what we're doing now is what we've always done, which is about promoting inclusion and trying to make the invisible um, visible. Um, And during COVID, there was never more invisibility um, and feeling abandoned and forgotten. Um, So, yeah, it is quite sad that 31, 32 years
0: later, we're still doing a lot of, of what we are, have always been doing, really. So if you go back to the start of my lifetime, many of these individuals would have been in institutions or we may have not actually survived much beyond birth. Are we more inclusive today or is it simply these people are hidden rather than hidden in institution, they're hidden in a family home?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question i think we are more inclusive i mean changing place toilets is is the obvious one um, we now have 250 in scotland still not very many but the fact that there are so many more people that are talking about the fact that they need to have a toilet in their venue um in order to enable people to come out and i think we have a, a group of young families who expect so much more so you know very very vocal and active and um creative um families that are wanting more for their children and young people and and the other really um powerful group of the siblings you know we were contacted just the other day by a sibling of um of a, a young man who's got profound disabilities saying me and my friends want to to raise money you know we want to put pamis forward as as our charity because you know we want to, there to be more changing place toilets we want to think about activities so i think you know well, I do believe very strongly that if we work with the younger generation, you know, they, they get it. There's a lovely piece of research that says if you give children the right tools, they will include absolutely everybody. But of course, the moment you take that away, that's when we begin to exclude. So, yeah, I think it's it's progressing. It's sad that we still feel we have to be here, though.
0: So you're, you're still based in Dundee, but you work across really quite large parts of
1: Scotland. Yes, so we have family support across five areas of Scotland, but we we have national projects, so the PAMIS Digital Passport, the Changing Place Toilet Campaign, and a lot of the work that we've been doing around postural care. So we do reach out to the whole of Scotland, but the family specific family support is only in in five areas, um, which is something we'd like to work on.
0: And if your family, and particularly maybe early on, there must be quite of a, an emotional, how do I cope with, how do I deal with this child with the disabilities that he or she has. You've talked to families, every family is different, but but what are some of the early needs that people have, you know, have you come to terms with? Maybe not what we were expecting, maybe not what they even prepared themselves for.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that is, um, it has a profound impact on them. One of our big worries has been who's been supporting those families during COVID. Having a baby in COVID was bad enough, but to have a baby with really complex needs must have been absolutely terrifying we find that a lot of families i mean it is it's an emotional trauma as you say it's it's not the child that you're expecting and then we we talk about chronic sorrow because you go through all these milestones or you don't go through all these milestones so it's really difficult and i think families talk about feeling really isolated you know so they Go well quite often as their child gets older they can't go to mother and toddlers mm. or mm. you know to nurseries where everybody else is because there isn't the right equipment and I know that Scottish Commission for Learning Disabilities you know has done some research recently about early years and and support for for families and for for their their young ones a lot of families end up splitting up you know that there is a high proportion of single parent families because the strain is is immense. Um, and and the impact that that then also has on the other children. You know, the siblings, as we talked about earlier, are, are an amazing bunch of people. But actually, you know, they miss out on, on an awful lot. One, because mum, often mum, dad does as well, but they're doing a very intensive caring role. But then because there aren't the places that they can go to because there's no changing place toilet. So I think it's a very, very isolating um, time. And families will often say there's a lot of information that gets thrown at them i mean one of our big campaigns has been about postural care and mm. getting that right at a very early age physiotherapists and occupational therapists often say but we tell parents that but but what happens the parents no. don't take all that info no. and they don't hear and the the courses that we've been running has a family caring training alongside a, a physio or an ot and and the messages then are translated and and i think there's a degree of trust because the family carer can say I've absolutely been there and you know your child might cry when they're in that position in that equipment but hey do this this and this and within two weeks it might be better so yeah I, I mean what we found is by bringing families together uh, you know every condition has its uniqueness doesn't it but I think the complexity of care with this group is is so unique that actually they want to be with other people that really understand i think one of the other things we run we run quite a lot of friendship clubs and we don't want we want people to be included but actually what families want is somewhere safe where they know it's been risk assessed they know the equipment will be right they know the activities will be right but they also know if their child communicates in a different way it will make no odds you know people will understand that that very high-pitched noise is the fact that they're enjoying the multi-sensory story but that still public uh, and not very giving are they at times you know it's still quite difficult to take your child into a place so, so having um, the ability to bring families together I think is, is so important
0: I mean you've said a couple of times already about Covid and you know Covid for many of us is not quite a distant memory but it is becoming a, a memory a very profound memory for many people but the danger is that we lose those lessons that we learned or didn't learn during COVID. And as you reflect back and if you've talked to the families, we don't want another COVID ever again, but we might get something similar to it. What would you do different? What what would the family say do different or do we get it about right?
1: No, we didn't get it right. And we're still in COVID. I mean, we still haven't got services back. We, as in our families, you know, there's still no day services in the very early days i think we i mean we were very lucky we had really good civil servants that listened to us and and i mean they know ours as an organization so we fed information from families directly and straight up to them very very quickly but um but 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 there was too much of a large approach to how you managed it I think what families and what we offered all the way along is please talk to these families they manage infection control on a daily basis and have done since their child was born and if you talk to them about how to manage that risk i think that could have been really really helpful but some of the you know nobody's allowed out well for our group they really need to get out for for health and, and benefit reasons um you know, the the, the the blanket approaches just didn't work for this, this group at all. And, you know, they felt abandoned. They felt invisible. And, you know, some of the awful early things with... I mean, I still have this vivid memory of this mum talking about having to drive at 90 miles an hour illegally down the motorway because she knew that if she didn't get to the hospital and her daughter had had to go in the ambulance by herself that somebody would have made a decision that her life wasn't worth saving you know it's those memories you know and i'm i'm not sure whether the messages did get through but yeah no i i there's an awful lot to learn we're part of the covid inquiry and actually we talked about it on friday and um it's still so impactful, isn't it? It is for us. We were feeling really emotional. Heaven knows what that feels like for, for families. Um, I mean, one of the issues
0: I picked up just through casework was do you not resuscitate notices? Mm. Again, do you think we've learned from that? Are you? I'm sure you've probably had cases from parents saying a, a bit like that parent, we were concerned about what would actually happen. Do you think government, do you think NHS have listened to that, have heard that? Or is it something still needs more work done
1: on? I think it still needs more work because even though we had that, you know, you can't, we, our group, were not to be on the frailty, clinical frailty scale. We, as you probably were, were still picking up that there were issues. But I think that probably goes back to how we support the next generation of health and social care practitioners as well to value, you know, every life and not to see that as, as a, a life not worth living we had um, quite an amazing physiotherapy student on placement with us who actually asked some pretty bold questions about when do you make a decision about whether you know life is is valued and and which was was i think for him quite scary asking a chief exec of an organization that promotes this group and um and what i said to him quite vehemently was please don't because he said oh, I've been away and I had a look at all the medical research and people have the same thoughts as I do you know that sometimes you have to make these really difficult decisions and I just pled with him please before you make any decisions go go to Edinburgh book festival and see a group of people with profound learning disabilities actually not being in the audience but participating and mm-hmm. in, encouraging the rest of the audience to mm-hmm. get involved and 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 go and talk to families and spend time you know watching what they they can do and by the end of his placement he came back and he said do you know jenny it was really scary asking you that and thank you for making it safe enough for me to do that but what i've i've understood is i'm I'm a person that really likes lots of research i like randomized control trials i'm into all of the stats and he said and i realized that Quantitative data is one bit, but if I had never spent time here and thought about the qualitative data, I would have made an ill informed clinical decision. And that, you know, was probably the most enlightening student enlightened mm. student we've ever had. But I think so he he was brave enough mm. to say mm. that's what he was thinking, but I think there are people out there mm. that think that all the time. So I think there's a lot of work to do about mm. how we value lives mm. and how we also let those lives impact on us because they teach us something every oh. day.
0: Yeah. So how did Jenny end up in
1: Tamilish? I am um it's really, I met Loretta when she first came up to, to Scotland. I was an occupational therapist. Um, she was a really formidable woman, actually, an amazing woman. I was pretty terrified of her. But mm. she she asked me um, if we would get involved in some of the workshops. She'd been doing some advocacy in the long-stay institution that I was working in at the time. And her boss was my boss. And, and, and we just be, I think we made a real connection there. When she set up Pamis she was really keen to think about how families you know could work with practitioners and I remember actually being terrified the first workshop I was doing workshop with them about moving and handling and you know going into a bunch of I mean I recognise real experts family carers who would know more than I knew um, but what a wonderful workshop we learnt so much together so I went as the practitioner and they came up with all these well that's all well and good Jenny but how the heck do you expect me to do that You know, when, when we're in a tiny house and we haven't got the equipment or the biggest challenge I remember them saying was how do we go shopping when we haven't got a trolley to, when our chairs are different and out of that group we set up this lovely sort of practitioner and parent partnership and we would come up and we i remember going to tesco's actually and saying well this is the thing that we've come up with we we don't know how to get around the shops when you've got a really unusual chair and they worked with the family and the practitioners so so i was involved um as a practitioner for many years um when I left that and went into NHS Education for Scotland, we were still involved and developed this wonderful um piece of practice education called the Ryan Harper legacy. So kept involved and then they got I got invited onto the board and um and then Loretta started talking about retiring so I left the board so I could apply for mm. the Post and uh, yeah, the best move I've ever made actually. But um, yes, so I mean, sadly, she retired, and, and even more sadly, she she died shortly afterwards. But um, yeah, it's been a it's been I've been involved
0: since the start, I suppose. Okay. So, I and mean, one of the things again you touched on, which again, we're interested to know is that there's a big debate going on about day DK, what is appropriate. Um, and I think there's a my own view, there's a kind of Almost of you actually close them down. Good idea, bad idea, and if not a good idea, what benefit do we bring to families?
1: it's been a really interesting discussion over many years and and there is this blanket let's shut them down and and one of the the issues that we've had as well with COVID is like oh do you know what there were loads of really wonderful things that happened during COVID. people had different day experiences you know and and for us though there, there were the, the day service was was absolutely horrendous because that's where people have their friends that's where people have their allied health professions that is also for families where the respite is because families then have time you know maybe to go back to work and and the the buildings are when somebody is going they're not too unwell to go but maybe you know things have got too much and they would rather have a quieter time so so we're we say you have to have a building. There has to be a base where somebody can go back and wandering. I mean, we've seen it where people wander the streets, you know, going in and out of shopping centres, partly because we give our most complex people to some really great carers, but with with very little support about how to interact, how to provide purposeful Mm -hmm. and meaningful activity. And, you know, the the thing about the day centres is you, you develop a whole team, I suppose, of people with very specialist skills. I think we could, could change what a a day service looks like we we've got um from a family care a model of having an inclusive college or an inclusive um university because our our folk are the best educators that you have so if you have medicine and nursing and social work but hairdressers and engineers if they were all taught by our group then we would build a more inclusive society um but, but but they do need, they have to have changing place toilets. They, they need to have, you know, access to specialist equipment. So I think, you know, and there is obviously moves to think about how we change day services. But this whole idea about, you know, well, people can just go into families homes you know and it's never just one person it's a whole team that has to come in and then it's not really a home anymore so yeah i think there's a lot of work to do we would love to be um more actively involved in that and health Improvement scotland have had a day service collaborative and it's been really great being invited to get involved in that and to work Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. with local health and social care partnerships but it, it needs a rethink
0: yeah, I just want to cover one area where actually you and I first met was around this issue of changing place toilets. Um, it's a toilet, but it's much more than a toilet, isn't it? And why is it such a big thing for the people that you're working for? Why can't we just use a disabled toilet? What's that added value?
1: So so Jenny Winette was, was one of the first mums who put a video up of, of having her son's personal care needs met on a toilet floor. Because actually for our group, they, they wear continence aids. And, and so they need a, a changing bench. And they need a large enough space to put their wheelchair. And let's face it, they're getting ever increasingly larger. And families' backs are really... You know, in a terrible shape because they carry on lifting, so they need a, a tracking hoist. So it's it's a larger. It's four by three. It's twelve meters squared. It's got a turning space. It's got room to get one, two, three carers, and it's also got room for that whole family to go, so that you're not leaving a two-year-old outside while you change your your son on the changing bench. So they are just they're just so important, and and people, you know, just. Don't understand that well I think actually during COVID we did didn't we we suddenly there was no toilets that were open mm. and you think well that's what it's like for a family mm. and I always remember a mum saying imagine if the only toilet you could go to was the one in your house how far would you you go afield mm. so yeah it, it's about having a personal care needs met with dignity and and respect um, and for the carers to be able to take their child in and be able to go to the toilet because what do you do if you've got a child in a in a wheelchair or an adult it is you know very much for adults it's now for a wider group of people as well. You know, when we think about those with, with cancer who need, you know, space to empty their colostomy bags and, and muscular dystrophy. You know, we've been working with MDUK. Th- those young people, um, you know, grow into adults and then need um, the, the right mm. facilities. Um, so it's, it's
0: life-changing. We're coming towards the end, so let me do my usual final question, but the, the magic wand... What would make PAMIS life, what would make the family's life easier, better? What change would you like to see?
1: I, th- That's such a difficult one. I mean, I would love to see a future where we don't need PAMIS to provide family support. What would be really wonderful is if families didn't have to come to us to mediate, to fight for care packages and to fight for appropriate care and and my vision is that one day pamis is is that that organization that, that people come at an undergraduate level to be educated and supported where we have you know our children and young people all integrated within schools and into colleges and into universities, so people are learning together because then we'll grow. You know, the the, the child who becomes the next transport minister that knows exactly why you know cars can't park on. I'm um, not that the transport minister. Doesn't that's not a very yeah. good example. But you know, the the council yeah. leader or the or the dad yeah. that's parking his car on a won't yeah. be parking his yeah. car on the on the pavement. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I suppose it's it's about how we we make this group visible and, and how we do that collectively and how it isn't just down to us as an organisation to fight for their rights,
0: really. Again, thank you, Jenny, for your time. it has been really so, so helpful and uh, hopefully we're going to see changes over the next few years. Thank you. It was great to hear from Jenny. It's been interesting to hear about how the work of PAMAS has developed here in Malovians. We'll put a link to the website in the show notes and you can go to it if you want to find out more. Thank you for listening to Out and About in the Lowlands, and I look forward to catching up next time.